Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Brad Marchand is getting booed a ton, which makes a lot of sense. But so is Zdeno Chara. And I don't really know why Zdeno Chara is getting booed, because I thought he was... He hasn't played for the team in, like, 10 years. And I thought he was kind of like a beloved alumni at this point, as opposed to a guy that you would viciously, viciously boo. But he is getting booed every time he touches the puck. I wonder if it's just a general boo-the-good-players vibe that Ottawa's going for. <laughs> but which, you know, Zdeno isn't Chara that, isn't even a which, good which player. Which isn't really that creative, if we're honest. Like, I mean... Don't get me wrong, he's a Hall of Famer, but at this point in his career, he just kind of looks like a haunted tree. Like, he's not, <laughs> he's 40 years old. Like, he's a, like, you shouldn't be booing him. Like, you should be celebrating every time he has the puck, because usually it means somebody, Mike Hoffman's about to take it away. You dotted in red. Remember Todd White. Where did Eric Carlson eat? last night It doesn't matter if you asked It's the Chet and Luke Podcast Good day, ladies and gentlemen and welcome to episode Pajot of the Chet Sellers and Luke Peristi Podcast. I'm Luke and I'm joined as always by the man who has always liked and believed in Dion Phaneuf. It's Chet Sellers. <laughs> How you doing, man? Pleasure to be here. I'm Love doing well. <laughs> so, do we have anything to talk about today on the Chet Sellers and Luke Pristy podcast about well, the Ottawa hockey team? You know, you know me. This is usually the time of the year that I go to Coachella. Um, I've decided not to go this year. At first, that was looking like it might have been a bad decision. But as it <laughs> turns out, the Sens are in the playoffs, and we can talk about that. Great. Here's the thing I realized quickly about the playoffs. Once you miss the playoffs for a year, you forget how existentially terrifying being in the playoffs actually is. <laughs> I know like, that's that's the only kind of sympathy I have for Leafs fans right now who really have no idea what to do at any given moment. On the one hand, I'm kind of like, you're still idiots. But on the other hand, I understand where you're coming from. This is very, yeah. very new to you. Like, all all year, all I've wanted is for the Sens to make the playoffs. Like, this is the thing I've, like, lusted for for six months. And now that it's finally here, I'm terrified and I hate it. <laughs> you are the brave warrior who, at the verge of completing his quest, sees the dragon and says, Oh, this was a bad idea. <laughs> Whoa, that dragon is way scarier than I I liked thought. everything up until this point. <laughs> So, do you want to talk about the games? Sure, why don't we start with Game 1 on Wednesday night? I actually enjoyed a lot of that game. I think Ottawa came out in Game 1, uh, was not overwhelmed by the moment, was not overwhelmed by you know a Boston team that they'd handled pretty well in the regular season. And you know who came out especially flying in that game? 
Bobby Ryan. Oh, <laughs> uh, we when we recorded our podcast last week, we had a riff about playoff narratives. And one of the things that we talked about while we were recording was here's a playoff narrative. Bobby Ryan redemption. <laughs> and as I was editing it afterward, I was like, no, that's too ridiculous. Even for this podcast, there's no <laughs> way we can include Bobby Ryan making a playoff comeback in this podcast. And yet here we are. Yeah, Bobby Ryan playing like a man possessed, going hard to the net. I, I will say, making Bobby, those dangles you've only seen on YouTube before. <laughs> Bobby Ryan playing with like a Scarface level of confidence is something I would love to see for the rest of this playoff series. He has two points. I know. He's really putting it all together. He's outscoring <laughs> Mike Hoffman right now. I know. The one thing I will say about Bobby Ryan, though, still a little bit slow. Like, he looks like he's <laughs> skating with an invisible parachute. <laughs> It's not how fast you get there as long as you're in the right spot. We all know this. That's true. We love you, Bobby Ryan. And that was a <laughs> uh, that was a phenomenal uh, individual effort to score the first goal of that game uh, in the second period on Wednesday night. It brought me out of my seat for sure. <laughs> and but, let's be frank, Bobby Ryan probably could have easily had, you know, one or two more goals in that game. Well, this is what I'm saying, right? I mean, he, after he scored that and <laughs> finally had more points than a circle, which I think is one of your lines, uh, he was out there like he was shooting, he was running around, he was throwing the body like he wasn't fast and he was still making basic hockey errors that you would notice from time to time. But at the same time, it's like he had that very fragile confidence that like shooters need at least in in game one and i thought he looked pretty good for the rest of it like i think he played two minutes in period one and then after he scored i think Guy Boucher actually said all right i'm gonna let him cook and he was he was out there <laughs> doing stuff you know yes bobby that's that stuff we do like around here but i think you're i think you're right other than in game one the senators were definitely the better team in the first and second periods and like they came out with a ton of jump uh, and then, you oh, know, yeah, I was like, oh, if this is what the playoffs are going to be, I'm really going to enjoy this. Right. And I, I think like that, watching this Ottawa. Team. I think if you go if you go line by line, I think they basically dominated shots against every line except for Marchand, Bergeron and Pasternak. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and I'll take that, you know, three out of four. But <laughs> there's a but. There's a big but. <laughs> um, there was. Can we blame Craig Mediglia for this? <laughs> <Can we> <laughs> like they came out with a ton of jump and the building was just absolutely electric in the first period. And then the second period, they outshoot. That's going to be our it was 4-1. Like, they outshoot them 12 nothing, and God love them. 12 uh, nothing, Zero shots against. And God love them. We could have pulled Craig Anderson, and the score still would have been one nothing. after You don't two. sign your scorecard when you're on the 16th hole, though, is what I'm saying. Like, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can trash talk a little bit, but you don't say, oh, 12 nothing. Is that good? Because you know what's going to happen after that. The Bruins are going to come out in the third, and they're going to dummy you, and <laughs> And your official Twitter account is going to get dunked on for days. <laughs> yeah, just such a ridiculous L. We love um, you, Craig, but that is, that, that is, is that a huge... You, you can't spell Medaglia without an L. Oh, my God. <laughs> How did you feel about a certain FNUF CC pairing after that game? <laughs> so watching it, of the two, I thought FNUF did an okay job. Like, FNUF is not fast, but he kind of knows where he needs to be. Like, he plays like Mark Mathod in that respect. Cody Cece's defense was thinner than Kyle Turris's beard. 
Yoza. <laughs> it was not good. He was playing defense like Dennis Nedry in the Jeep in Jurassic Park. Like it was not <laughs> so zingers for days. It was not it was not a strong performance. He has been in the playoffs before. I didn't feel like he was making very good decisions when he had the puck. I didn't feel like he was in very good position when he didn't have the puck. It was pretty rough to watch. And that's obviously the pairing that got caved in in the third period. I think it was Guy Boucher's move to hard match that pairing to the Bergeron line. Basically, the Bergeron line just devoured them. (laughs) Game one was a great reminder of why playoff hockey is terrible. (laughs) Uh, Like You can do everything right for so long, and then somehow you don't score enough goals, and then the other team just hangs around, and next thing you know, you're walking home from the game or bar very upset because you should have won. It's tough, right? Because it's only one game. But on the other hand, <laughs> I sat in the parking lot for like 40 minutes after trying to get out because as is tradition, you have 40 minutes to sit in your car and think about the tough loss that you just saw. And as much as you want to say it's only one game, you're immediately saying, oh, but if they don't win game two, we are in big, big trouble. And that's the only thought you kind of have sitting on top of your brain for like three straight days. That was the thing is that there was some time off between game one and game two, and we got to really ruminate over that loss. And (laughs) I remember after game one, I was just like, that's it. We're losing the series. It's over. Boston doesn't have most of their good defensemen. They've got some major injuries. We dominated for two periods. That's a game you have to cash if you want to win the series. We're done. This is That's the game you lose when you're going to lose the series. That's, that's the way it is. That's where I was. Maybe 36 hours later, I had successfully talked myself into, on the bright side, we did dominate for two periods and was kind of like talking myself back into all hope not being lost. Right. Which brings us to uh, game two. Game two and the triumphant return of Mark Mathot. Mark Mathot's back. Freddie Clayson's out, Boros in, just like God intended. I mean, I assume that Mark Mathot, you know, they didn't say exactly what they did. I would assume he was on a lot of painkillers, but I was also hoping that he would, like, pull off his glove in the celebration after the game and, like, show off, like, his new 17th century metal finger or something Um, like that. I don't think it's metal. I actually think that, you know, I'm not sure if you've heard about... Eugene Melnick's The Organ Project. <laughs> but I have it on good authority. That's where Mark Mathot got his new finger from. <laughs> he got a finger donation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I hope it was a willing donor. That's all I'll say. <laughs> um, oh, of course. Anything for the team, man. But they were saying that, you know, it was good to have Mathot back. Guy Boucher was saying that he wouldn't be back unless and until he could really shoot the puck. And I was like, my man, when has Mark Mathot ever shot the puck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the guy had 12 points this year um if you want to say he's playing with 90 percent of his fingers i'll take 90 percent of 12 points like yeah. i'm okay with that not known for his offense though <laughs> he's big he can take up space he knows where to be that's basically what he did in game two and it was good to see him back i hope his fingers okay basically the guy on the sidecar who balances out the wild maneuvers of the eric carlson motorcycle <laughs> well and eric carlson started the game with Dion Phaneuf, and i was like oh no what's happening i saw that because <laughs> there's so many people at the game like twitter is not loading very quickly if at all uh so you kind of have to watch the game it's uh it's very interesting enough carlson to start is that good you're looking around anyone anyone is that good <laughs> are you happy about this but this was game two was in a lot of ways actually in every way the opposite of game one in that 
it had a better ending, it had better moments, but it was also a game that I would say the Bruins dominated the first two periods instead of the Senators. Oh, absolutely. We go from Ottawa losing a game they should have won to Ottawa getting blown out in a game that they should get blown out in. And by, you know, the middle of the second period, I've had it with playoff hockey. <laughs> it was, I was just like, why did I want this? This is miserable. <laughs> well, I was saying to you, like, I think I sent you a DM during the game when oh, my you were phone salty. actually worked. I was, and I was just like, is it good that I'm at the point where I'm thinking about how all the money I've spent on this team over my lifetime could have bought an airplane? <laughs> and I think you responded, an airplane will only kill you once, whereas the sins can kill you every year. So... <laughs> Bon mot to you, sir. <laughs> by, the, by the end of the second period, we're all dreaming of kind of like a better life without sense playoff hockey. You've got an airplane. Oh, the second period, <laughs> let me tell you, the mood was bad at the game. I just went out to the concourse between the second and the third. I just saw men wandering around, clutching rags. I saw a woman selling her hair. Like it was, it was very grim. It was like something out of Les Mis between the second and the third period. There was that nun lady from Game of Thrones <laughs> ringing a bell, going shame, shame, and shame. I was just, and it was, it was so horrible, right? Because going back a little bit, I mean. Can you think of like even a better moment this season than that goal that Clark MacArthur scored to tie it up in the second period? No, I lost it. That was that was the moment of the season as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I if was... you told me if you told me back at FanFest after watching Clark MacArthur getting concussed that, you know, don't worry, Clark is gonna be back for the playoffs and he's gonna score his first goal in two years in the playoffs. I wouldn't have known what to tell you. That I was a I, great moment. I was I was crying. I'm not ashamed to admit it. It happens at games sometimes. It's normal. The Daniel Alverton retirement and the Clark MacArthur goal are two moments that got me very choked up at uh, at games this year. Mm-hmm. But not like, like, I want to be clear, it's not like an ugly crying. It's like a stoic crying. It's like how I imagine Tommy Lee Jones cries. Yeah, yeah, I can, I totally get that. I, I appreciate you admitting that. <laughs> and then what do the Senators do to capitalize on that highly emotional moment? Well, you say the Senators, but I think... We have to hand a giant gold-plated L to Craig Anderson <laughs> on this next one. So um, I want to I want to be clear on this. When people say, and this happened, you know, around the time of Anderson's 500th game, where everybody said, you know, Craig Anderson. When you really look at it, he's the best goalie the Senators have ever had. You know, between the pipes. And I want to make sure that every point of that sentence is true. <laughs> between the pipes, he is the best goalie the Senators <laughs> have ever had. But as soon as he leaves that crease, like I. I want to get that, you know, you know, the invisible fence technology they have for dogs where you can put a collar on. And if you go past a certain point, like you hear a noise, you get a shock or something to keep the dog. Like, I want that. I want the dog invisible fence with a collar on Craig Anderson so that he doesn't leave the crease because it's getting ridiculous. Yeah. Craig Anderson, once he starts smelling the freedom outside the blue ice, like he thinks he's Carlson. He's like, (laughs) I can do this, guys. Oh, and then he crosses the road and then you've never seen him again you know you, that's that's what i worry about it's funny when it's not the playoffs to watch anderson kind of go for a walk outside the crease and do something weird it's not super fun when you're basically giving up the lead after clark MacArthur scores his first goal in two years giving up the lead shorthanded by the way the ottawa senators had a power play at that point yeah i know i know and then the period ended 3-1 at that point, even, like, Clark MacArthur took a penalty for, like, cross-checking a guy. 
I thought that was going to go four one at that point. I, and I was like, okay, this is how we die. I get it. We have to deal with a lot of a lot of crap on Twitter now because of Craig Anderson. Clark MacArthur Great. was was fired up after that penalty too. Like he was he was easily the most passionate guy on the ice, um, even before the goal. Like he wanted, and when they were you know going to send him off after the cross check, I think it was then he was trying to fight guys. Like and I was just like, no, don't do this. Let Phaneuf fight somebody. Let Phaneuf just like skate into the scrum with his super high voice and be like, you looking for a Tilly, bud? But yeah. leave Clark MacArthur out of it. Like, as soon as anybody is roughing up Clark MacArthur, there should be five guys, like, standing in between him and whoever's yelling at him. Like, that's that's what I want to see. But yes, it was it was dark after two. The game was getting very chippy. And <laughs> we were realistically looking at leaving and going back to Boston after losing the first two games in our own rink. Not an ideal situation and I kind of remember spending that second intermission trying to concoct plausible scenarios for a Sens comeback. <laughs> I was kind of like, okay, so Sens are not exactly an offensive powerhouse here, but you know what? If they get a quick, dirty one, yeah. then you know it could bring some belief back, and that might give us a chance. Yeah, meanwhile, I'm sitting in the rink. I finally get reception. I check Twitter, and everybody's like, check out this gif of Eric Carlson screaming at Derek Broussard. It was like, <laughs> is that good? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that dude was fiery he He's did not like brassard's uh lackadaisical approach to whatever he tried to approximate defense as on that second goal by boston so i don't want to bury the lead here but i will say that eric carlson looked better in game two than he did in game one mm-hmm. and i don't know if having a couple extra days to kind of rest up for between wednesday and saturday helped or not i think there was an article that came out in the citizen in the meantime that basically said oh just so you know eric carlson actually has two leg injuries not one and i was like is that good <laughs> but um i mean obviously we can talk about what he did in the third period but i would say just generally he looked better like he looked like he had a little bit more speed and he was uh i won't say he was like like 100% Eric Carlson, but if he was at about 60% in game one, I would say he was closer to 80% in game two. Yeah, I think that's fair. And let's face it, Eric Carlson had one of the, one of the great plays ever done by any Ottawa senator in the playoffs. That was... In, in the third period of that game. That was fantastic. And like I've always said, I don't know if I've always said, but I'm saying now that Eric Carlson is like the closest thing the NHL has to like a point guard. In the NBA, like Mm -hmm. I remember he was playing Detroit. I think it was before he sustained the second injury. I think it was in the first Detroit game and those back to back games they played a couple weeks ago where he basically like faked somebody out of his jock at the blue line, like took the puck between his legs, did like a little half spin and like just carried on. And it was like something that you'd see in like an and one video. It was ridiculous. (laughs) And he did like he did exactly the same kind of thing on that Broussard goal. Like he basically started at the blue line, took it all the way around, took it in, kicked it out to Broussard. It was like something that you'd see Gary Payton do. Like it was it was incredible to watch that he can control the puck and move it that quickly and then kick it out to somebody who's wide open for a goal. Like the vision is is unbelievable. 
Yeah, the skating, first of all, to just get out of the situation he was in and get all the way around to the other end of the ice was incredible. And then the vision to find Broussard wide open at the other side of the net from where he just came from was even more preposterous. <laughs> but also also just the leadership in demonstrating the mercy to give Broussard that chance after you've been screaming at him. It was sort of like, it was great because it had to be Broussard, right? Because Carlson was so mad at him for not getting back on, I guess it was the short handed goal, right? Mm. That he then said, all right, I'm going to demonstrate mercy by giving you the best possible chance, but also put you in a position where if you blow it, you have to move. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's that's really being a captain right there. Until this point, I hadn't thought about it at all. But now that you put it like that, there is like a second reality where Eric Carlson does that ridiculous skating, gets the rock to Derek Broussard, and then Broussard does not score. Um, and that is an extremely dark reality. I'm, I'm glimpsing right now. Well, uh, yeah, Derek Broussard would be off the team in that case. Well, thankfully... Thankfully, it didn't happen. And, you know, at the end of the day, the system, Guy Boucher's the system is really just a construction of man. Eric Carlson is, you know, orbiting within God's system. And we can't always understand it, but just know that it's working. There's a great chant that originates from uh, European soccer. And I think it applies to Eric Carlson. And it's, he does what he wants. He does what he wants. (laughs) Eric Carlson does what he wants. Oh. And I love that chant because, you know, it just implies that if Ottawa hasn't scored, it's just because Eric Carlson has not yet willed it. (laughs) Um, He is the beating heart of the system. I will tell you that. So after basically suffering a terrifying low in Game 2, we experience some dizzying highs, and then we get the worst thing in all of sports— Playoff overtime. (laughs) Which always ends really quickly or takes four periods. Yes, with no in-between. No in-between whatsoever. How were you feeling going going into that overtime? Because I didn't want to say anything, but in my mind and in my heart, there was no way the Sens were going to lose that game. I was feeling okay, partly because they had most of a power play left after Zdeno Chera, for God knows what reason, put the puck over the glass with like 15 seconds to go. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was like, well, they're coming out. They've got a power play. That's good. But I said, well, but if and when Boston kills that power play off, which they did, I feel like eventually everybody's just going to start to get tired. You're going to get to the point where maybe they play some back and forth for a while, but eventually somebody's going to be tired enough to make a mistake. And I had the feeling that was likely going to be CC or Phaneuf. You know, and yes. so I figured that it was going to go long enough that eventually, even if the Senators looked better in the third, that they were going to wear down, do something dumb, and lose. I think that's a good way to describe the Senators' situation, where they need their skilled players to do something before their less skilled players do something bad. Um, <laughs> so you're kind of like, all right, Mike Hoffman, go out there. You've got until the first Cody CC mistake to win this th- to win the game for us. <laughs> go out there and have fun, but seriously, score. But one of the things that you said on this podcast last week was how sweet would a Dion Phaneuf overtime goal be against the Leafs? <laughs> well, would, say you that. Take, would you take one against the Bruins? I sure would, Chet. <laughs> <laughs> well, then I've got good news for you. Dion Phaneuf lines up a blast on a one-timer feed from uh, Mark Stone, finds his way past Tukaras. The crowd goes crazy. It's a 1-1 series. We're still in this. Not only that, but after the game, Phaneuf says what will endear him to Sens fans forever. This is the most important goal of my career. 
Like, I guess the Leafs have their own thing going on right now, but I think it's pretty funny that the Senators are out here winning playoff games with goals by MacArthur and Phaneuf. They had a, uh, they had a really nice moment together after the game where they both, like, the two of them, I mean, obviously they're, you know, very close friends, but the two of them were just like, can you believe this? Like, we've, we've done it. We've won this game. Uh, because they, you know, the last time the two of them were playing the Bruins, we all know what happened. Oh, yeah. Um, what was that score again? It was 4-1. <laughs> yes, that's uh, It was 4-1, but it was also 12 nothing in the second period of Game 1. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. I, I put this out here on Twitter, and I'll ask you this now, Chet Sellers. Was Game 2, when you take into account everything, the situation, Clark MacArthur, the overtime winner, the comeback, was Game 2 a top 5 Senators playoff game all time? Was it a top 3? I feel it, like that was one of the more emotional and dramatic wins I've ever seen. It's it's uh, definitely top five, for sure. The only one that comes close to me in the last several years is uh, game three against the Habs in 2013. But that wasn't a close game. That was just a spiritually satisfying game in the sense that J.G. Peugeot had a hat trick and the Senators beat the hell out of the Habs uh, in a five-man line brawl. Uh, in terms of drama, yeah, it's been a really long time since the Senators have had a playoff game like that. Uh, now, yeah. granted, it was a game two and not a game seven, but it's still like to come back from 3-1 after two and win in overtime in the playoffs is a big deal. They came out after two periods in game two with the look of a group of rich young men who had recently been screamed at. And they just looked completely different in that third period. Um, they found a way, you know. I mean, this is what you can kind of say about this team this year is that they won't be contained. They break free, expand to new territories, crash through barriers painfully, sometimes even dangerously. But uh, there you have it. So it's a split at home after two games, which I'll take, especially after game one. And can you make a playoff narrative argument that the Sens are now going into game three in Boston with all the momentum? I mean, insofar as momentum is a thing, the Senators definitely have it at this point. You've got to think that maybe if you're Boston, you're feeling like that's the game that you should have closed out. And now Ottawa has kind of realized that, you know, not only can they hang with you over the course of a series, but when the chips are down, Ottawa's also got the firepower to be able to come back. And I think that's going to give them a lot of confidence going forward. Right. Well, and here's the thing. If you said to Boston before game one, would you be happy with a split in Ottawa and going back to Boston 1-1, where you've now got three of the last five home games? They would say, of course we would. Yeah. I mean, if you can get a split on the road in the playoffs, that's a good deal. But to have won game one and then lost game two the way they did is what kind of makes me wonder if, you know, I, I take your point that momentum is not a demonstrable thing most of the time, but given the option, I'd rather be the team that just came off the dramatic overtime victory than the team that blew that same lead. Uh, so I'm I'm relatively happy with where we are right now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess, ultimately, Ottawa's dominated most of one game, and Boston's dominated most of one game, and they've both won one game. So the 1-1, one, one, I think the 1-1 one, one series score right now is kind of karmically correct, if you will. But uh, the way we got there is extremely interesting. 
Yes. I don't know. How do you feel about the rest of the series? I think if they can take one of these next two games in Boston, I'd be very happy to come back to Ottawa 2-2. They can come back 3-1. That's even better. But game five on uh, next Friday should be a lot of fun. You do want to probably win game three at this point if you're Ottawa. I don't know. I I just win all the games. About that. I'm I'm tired (laughs) of... Just win them all. (laughs) I, I, I put up a blog post being like, Sens in seven. And at this point, I'm like, no, Sens in five. Put me, like, just get to that second round. I don't want to have to deal with all this stress for too much longer. So I guess so far there's been two games of playoff hockey that have contained multitudes for the Ottawa Senators. I guess there's no reason to suspect the series is going to get any less dramatic now. So buckle in, folks. It's going to be a wild ride for three or more games. I know, and I, I, uh, I cannot wait till Monday at this point. All right, folks, enjoy your playoffs if you can. We'll be back, hopefully, with more playoff episodes soon. And go Sens, system be with you. System be with you. See you soon. Who both still live with their moms Breaking the town's local hockey team down With some microphones on No other podcast was finer Or was more of a hit with the big rig diners We never thought they'd make it past episode 5 Whoa, somehow these dudes named Shed and Parisi are live Whoa, whoa, whoa when I was comparing Eric Carlson to an NBA point guard, have you ever found that Mark Stone looks exactly like Clay Thompson? Oh, I can totally see that. They've got the same <laughs> jaw structure. Yeah. But if Clay Thompson had a helmet that was too loose, and every time he started to break down the court, he had to readjust his helmet, he'd look exactly like Mark Stone. That's all I'm saying. I don't think Clay Thompson's faces after he makes a three pointer are as good either. But... No, that's probably true. You know that Mark Stone, you know, on the court draining a three, the faces would be fantastic. Mm-hmm.